municipal units uh, are quite ambitious because they represent the folks that want to see change, um, and, and that that motivates their their actions in that. These are the opportunities that municipalities have to support their residents. Hi, I'm Matt, and I'm Anuj. And you're listening to the Just Good Business Podcast. It's a show about amplifying the voices of social enterprises, the humans behind them, and the journey they are on. Join us as we learn from Nova Scotia's social enterprises, hearing what inspired them to take the unusual path for doing social good, creating prosperity beyond profit. Let's explore Nova Scotia's world of social entrepreneurship together. Who knows? you may be closer to running your own social enterprise than you think. Area Nova Scotia is a 100% municipally owned company formed in 2014 by the towns of Antigonish, Berwick, and Mahone Bay. So, Area has been developing solar photovoltaic, I hope that's how you pronounce it, projects in Nova Scotia since 2017. And for an example of their scale, one of their 20 projects delivers solar for 20 municipalities across the province through Solar for Community Buildings program. Their impact is really impressive. And here are some numbers to really shed some light on it. Get it? $15 million in total benefits to Nova Scotia municipalities. 500 plus jobs created. 192,000 tons of CO2 equivalent saved, which is the equivalent of the annual electrical use of 125,000 households. Today, we will learn with you as we chat with Aaron Long and Meg Hodges. So Aaron is the general manager and has worked in the renewable energy industry for over two decades. He has deep roots in Nova Scotia and enjoys coaching his son's hockey teams. Meg is the operations officer. She has a diverse background and is a former municipal counselor, entrepreneur, and operations manager. She's also the chair of the King's Transit Authority and is currently a board member for Devour the Food Film Festival, just to name a few. All of this while being a mother of two in Kings County. All right, let's dive right in. Can you please tell us the area origin story? Tell us about how you folks got started. The area origin story goes back to uh, an organization once known as the Municipal Electric Utilities of Nova Scotia Cooperative. And that was something created in the mid-90s after Nova Scotia Power was sold uh, by the provincial government. And the group needed a, an advocacy venue. Uh, and then the market opened up here for the Municipal Electric Utilities to seek cleaner and cost-effective power, and they had a number of RFPs, and I was with a company um, headquartered in Hansport called Minus Basin Pulp and Power that pitched a concept where the municipalities should own their own wind farm because it was advantageous to do so relative to their other opportunities. And what each of those municipal electric utilities realized was that they were too small to do it on their own, and they had to aggregate their ambition, so they created the Alternative Resource Energy Authority it has a it's an intermunicipal service arrangement. It has a board of directors comprised of a mayor of each of the three towns of Berwick, Mahone Bay, and Annie Ganesh, and another elected official. And then it has staff like myself and Meg to help execute the mandate of the of the business. So I've been here since inception. You know where all the skeletons uh, are in which closets. Um, we haven't had to bury any bodies yet. 
Um, but there's been all kinds of great uh, battle scars from each of us. And it's been really exciting to see that the collaboration remains strong through transition of mayors, transitions of other board members and uh, town administrators. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to be part of this journey. I love that, Aaron. Uh, and I can't wait to get into all of these skeletons that we'll be broadcasting live for all of our audience to hear. And it sounds like, weirdly enough, if you haven't buried any bodies, that you just came across these skeletons, which I'm very curious about too. But maybe we'll get into that if time allows. Um, uh, Meg, what about yourself? How did you uh, first get connected with Aria? So I've been with Aria for almost a year now. And in my previous life, I was a municipal counselor for the County of Kings. So I have been a very envious neighbor of Berwick as a Kings County resident and always looked in on what area had going on. They were about two years old by the time I was elected in 2016. And a lot of my ambitions when I had run for council was to come up with green renewable energy projects, try to make our county a much more environmentally friendly place. And I kept running into all of the same frustrations that every other municipality that doesn't own a municipal electric utility runs into. And so very often I was watching area and elbowing people saying, why can't we do stuff like that? Um, so in 2020, I didn't reoffer to run for council and I was finishing a degree in politics and keeping my eye on the municipal world because I do care very much about our communities and what's going on in Nova Scotia. And the opportunity at area came up last spring and I jumped on top of it because I have always wanted to be a part of this organization and it is near and dear to my heart. It's been an honor to serve these communities and help further their dreams and their aspirations to decarbonize and be the first net zero communities in Canada. I love it. I can't wait to dive right into it. So let's just get an idea then. Um, thank you, Meg and Aaron, for that kind of outline. Um, let's get an idea as to the scope. So how many municipalities are you currently working with? I know there's there's three mayors that are a part of it, but how many municipalities? How are you funded? What's the size of the organization? I know there's a, there's a, there's a couple of you here um, within the organization. It's important for the for the listeners to understand how we've evolved with our municipal collaboration, because uh, that's what it's really all about in our times past when Anoush had uh, had the pleasure of, we had the pleasure of hosting his team to the Ellers House Wind Farm, uh, we talk about how we're building a narrative for municipalities to represent their citizens on this decarbonization journey. Uh, ingrained in Canadians, um, regardless of how we answer the survey questions as they arrive over the internet or on the phone, is that they care about the environment, they care about this country, and they work really hard to keep it a great place. Um, I think that's especially true here in Nova Scotia, but everywhere I've been in Canada, not that it's been extensive, I think there's that same underlying uh, sentiment. We've started with three municipalities as owners. Uh, the, the community or village of Riverport is not its own distinct municipal unit, um, so they couldn't be an owner of area, even though they're part of the cooperative that has now morphed into area. So we've uh, we've brought them along. They're the smallest load-serving entity in the electricity industry in North America. Um, the other ones that we work with are, are not too far behind on that list. So it's quite remarkable that we've been punching above our weight uh, as we have. Um, there's been some other communities that wanted to replicate our success. And the way the market is structured in Nova Scotia, when the Department of Energy, or however it's changed its name, Currently, it's the Department of Natural Resources and Renewables. 
they release programs that enable municipal participation from an ownership uh, perspective or position uh, for renewable energy assets. They had what was once known as the solar electricity for community buildings. And we lent services to about a dozen municipalities over 21 projects from Argyle to Amherst and the county of Antigonish. Uh, so we've helped a, a number of municipalities through there. I think that was what Meg was talking about. That we, we helped the village of Canning with one of those projects, and it's quite large, you know, nearly $300,000. And those are big investments um, for small communities to make, um, ranging to the $51 million wind farm we have in Ellers House, which is south of the 101 in Hans County as you're leaving Halifax, going down the valley where I grew up, with 10 turbines on the south side of the highway there. There's this untapped ambition that municipalities have, and there's a lot of barriers that people have historically identified, uh, and we work through that. And now we have some of the larger municipalities seeking to replicate our solar success, not just on those smaller projects that we just mentioned, but with our community solar gardens in our towns, um, two of which have achieved commercial operation here in the last four weeks or so, and one that's in Antigonish that's still under construction, soon to achieve commercial operation. So, there's probably a, another half dozen of municipalities uh, around Nova Scotia that are gearing up and, and hoping we can chart their course for them through upcoming government programs. Amazing story, Aaron. Um, I've been following this for last at least seven years since we last met. As you mentioned, area is co-owned by three municipalities. And so it's a, in some ways, it's a very unique partnership. We haven't come across such partnership anywhere else. Uh, how does one go about preparing one's residents, one's citizens, to be owner of such an enterprise where you take on debt, you, you have risks involved? What kind of process that area went through in, in creating, uh, imagine such an organization? So there's a part of me that w would like to give an answer that we uh, turned over every rock in the universe and researched all best practices and implemented that, but that was not the case. We uh, stood on the shoulders of some great leaders in each of these communities for the last century that owned their own municipal electric utility. So uh, each of our owner towns is already running a business. They buy electricity wholesale and they retail that to their customers. They maintain those assets. They have staff. Um, to uh, keep those assets healthy, and they have staff in an office to um, do the administration of that. So taking the next step into becoming, a, a really transitioning from a passive energy consumer to an active uh, energy participant in the marketplace um, was a logical step for these communities that were not satisfied with industry's response to cost pressures and decarbonization pressures. Um, I think, you know, it, Having shown that that path is possible in Nova Scotia, we're helping other communities move into that position that haven't had that uh, experience as a municipal electric utility. Um, but had there been no municipal electric utilities in this province, would there be an area in the first place to help some of these follow-on municipalities? I would just add that intermunicipal service agreements like we exist under, which in the municipal world would be called an IMSA, exist across Nova Scotia in different capacities, but the uniqueness of our industry creates a uniqueness in the ways that we govern ourselves and the ways that we're able to interact and provide any amount of wealth or, 
I guess just would benefit to the communities. Many different IMSAs that exist are, I would think of waste pickup. I would think of public transit. I would think of services that cost the municipality to run at a rate so that their residents are able to derive the benefit from it. Area is, in, is entirely unique in that it derives benefit for everyone else and has the ability to generate income for the community that is not based on a tax rate. So that's how municipalities work. If they need more money, they're going to put up the tax rate, the center to, they have all of their numbers figured out and they know exactly what one cent on the tax rate would mean to them. And although we are all going through really unprecedented times in terms of the cost of living, inflation, and just lag times and global pressures. Although there may be hard moments in the electric world right now, overall, we've been able to derive a lot of benefit for our communities. And so um, it's a very unique thing for towns to have an option to create any amount of revenue that isn't tax-based. And that's a really exciting part of this, this entire adventure because it's just not, characteristic of the municipal world. This is fascinating. I think at Just Good Business, uh, we say uh, we can solve social and environmental challenges while making money out of it. Uh, and here is an example of what area is doing. So give us some uh, business numbers uh, for our listeners and to us. Uh, what kind of revenue, what kind of uh, power generation are you doing? What kind of profits are you generating? What kind of investments do you have? Uh, give us some of your balance sheet and revenue numbers. What I'd like to refer back to in the narrative is there's no free lunch. And so it's not like we've tapped into some secret sauce and people are mailing us envelopes of cash just because they like us. Um, area is in business the same way it's electric utilities are in business. The electric utilities have a, a regulated monopoly in their towns. They have a regulated rate of return. Area is not guaranteed uh, to make money. And so we take risks. We manage risks. Um, these towns in the onset took a risk that uh, they needed to develop a large scale, like a utility scale renewable energy project. Um, you can't capture the the economies of scale with one or two turbines. So we... we uh, did the financial and economic analysis and four turbines and the balance of plant um, that financed at uh, municipal debt rates. So the first phase of Eller's House was about 23 and a half million bucks. And you finance that by uh, borrowing all that money the same way a municipality borrows money to fund its other infrastructure. Um, results in a, in a conservative power purchase agreement price that was economically favorable. Um, definitely stabilized rates for customers in these towns. Um, that, that's how we got started in this and uh, further expansion of the wind farms by uh, three turbines in one year and three the next. That's how we got up to the 10 turbines doing $51 million of projects as three small towns all at once was too big to chew. So that's why we, we did it in three, um, three bites. There were some learnings that came along there. So that was good as well. Um, and I think for these municipalities that are either implementing or innovating in the decarbonization space, doing a little bit and learning those lessons and, and, and capturing that and 
building that into the organization's strategy and, and culture um, makes things move forward. So there's a tension between the economies of scale doing 10 turbines at one time and then the learnings associated with doing it in chunks at that particular time with that particular technology. Uh, the learning over chunks was better than the economies of scale. That may not always be true, but that's that's a that's an analysis point. If we have other municipal folks listening on the on the call, that would be a recommendation that we have is to to study that. Um, but there was no there was no government money in the in the uh, uh, no non repayable government money in the Ellershouse wind farm. So every dollar that's borrowed is like a mortgage, and the sale of the power has to recover that has to recover all the maintenance, has to recover paying folks like us. Um, then we've moved into the community solar gardens and the Department of Natural Resources and Renewables and its predecessor names. Um, and the Federal uh, Ministry of Infrastructure were quite keen to see proof of concept utility scale solar gardens uh, embedded in communities that are on their own uh, municipal electric utility. So that's how we got started on that. And we're quite thankful that 73 cents uh, of every dollar we spent on that uh, up to the cap and the funding agreement um, helped us along our way there. So extremely thankful to the province and the federal government. Um, and those are showcase examples for the province's benefit. It's not like they're just funneling money into these three communities. Um, the government intends to replicate our success with that. Um, I think the, the way that we look at it is uh, those three towns uh, put about a million dollars at risk before they had any assets. Uh, they have to spend money on um, engineering and environmental consultants to make sure that you navigate through the permits and then you negotiate contracts um, for the provision of equipment and services. Uh, and we've turned that around either through dividends or savings um, uh, for customers in these towns. Um, and then some funding um, through the grid modernization project in Antigonish that we helped out in the funding I just mentioned into a nearly $50 million of financial benefit to these three towns. So pretty good return on investment there. Um, that is not, uh, you know, we're not going to do that every 10 years. Uh, there's no guarantee. You know, there comes an element of risk and an element of stress and some days it doesn't look like it's come together, but it makes those successes that much sweeter when they do. Um, but there's no, there's nothing guaranteed there. So it's, I can't answer your question about how, what's the consistent profit. Uh, but the value we've created for our communities is what, is what I just mentioned. And, um, that's what really the underpinning, if we go back to the towns and say, Hey, you know, there's time for another round of investment because this industry is quite cyclical. It's boom and bust. And many other companies are, are, are experience those, those same challenges as well. Back to you, Meg. You know, being uh, you being a, having a, an experience and background in uh, being a counselor uh, and a politician, uh, it is not easy for a politician, for a mayor, to put money at risk uh, and invest in a business, uh, knowing that if it backfires, what happens? Um, you know, how how does one go about the the, the political process in making such big investments? Uh, it may be a social enterprise and it, it has it promises to give you returns, but it also carries a risk. And so how does one go about in a counselor process uh, in a town? Uh, what is your experience around that? I would say for the group that made area and have kept their municipal electric utilities, it took a lot of courage and a lot of bravery to put themselves out there in that position. I think there's also 
an embedded existential crisis for towns in Nova Scotia to find ways to financially exist. Um, where I was an elected official for the County of Kings, we're a big municipality. That's the third largest municipality in Nova Scotia after CBRM and Halifax. And our revenues look very different compared to the revenues of the towns that are kind of engulfed in my area. We have the town of Berwick, we have the town of Kenfield, we have the town of Wolfville, and they all have their own challenges for how they can provide services and levy tax rates or cooperate with their neighbors. And so any opportunity to be creative and find partnerships, municipalities have a tendency to do that. But municipalities can also have decades long grudges that they hold against each other. And that can make it really difficult to achieve anything. And so the thing that I find so fascinating about the area group is that they're not neighbors. They don't live in the same geographical location and they don't have long, deep rooted issues with each other. And where I come from in the Valley, we have lots of intermunicipal service agreements that work together. And we have a very cooperative group of municipal units that work together. But the fact that Anaganish and Mahombe and Berwick each have their own electric utilities and all of the very unique challenges that they face, they needed to find friends and they needed to do something brave together. And so I think that'd be really challenging. And there aren't a lot of opportunities when you're in the municipal government as a elected official to do anything that is very exciting sometimes. It can be very policy driven. It can feel very run of the mill. You're just approving budgets and you're just approving paving plans. And hopefully you have a strategic plan that you can follow, but most don't. And so to have something that is so unique as an electric utility, you have to be creative and you have to be collaborative. And I think that's one of the most inspiring and exciting things about area and the groups that own us, just the fact that they continue to see the benefit in partnering with each other. And they are looking for how, how does this last for more than 10 years? How do all of our electric utilities last for another hundred years? And working together is the way to do that. And it's really, it's really cool to see that that's the kind of partnership that they all understand as elected officials. They, they have it, they have bought in, they sell it to their communities. They are champions for it. And honestly, it just takes the championing from your elected officials to keep something like this moving and to keep the town moving. Right. Yes, so. It takes a few champions to go out there, try, take a risk, uh, and be visionary. Thank you. Amazing, Matt. Meg, you you touched on a really interesting point there, and I, I want to just I, I want to um, probe it a little bit further uh, because uh, <laughs> I'm I'm going to blow right past the potential municipal regs and whatnot because I think that's the case, and you know, towns all over the place just before. Um, uh, before you folks joined, Anuj and I were talking about the dreaded A word being amalgamation. Um, but uh, in some in some context, when it comes to continuity, when it comes to multi generational thinking, when it comes to multi generational impact, you need to have that sense of continuity uh, and collaboration, um, regardless of who the end user is. And in this case, um, it would be municipalities. 
So do you folks work, and you're saying a lot of, within the context of, of elected leaders, and Meg, that's your background, but do you folks work closely with the elected leaders within municipalities or the administrative leaders within the municipalities where you would tend to have a little bit more continuity than being um, beholden to an election cycle? We work very closely with the administrative side of all of our towns and also all of our potential other municipal clients. There's a lot of work with the CAOs. There's a lot of work with the environmental folks who may or may not be on staff, depending on the resourcing of the municipal units. Um, but there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes to negotiate and assure that the information that we are bringing to the councils for the decision-making cycle is salient and we have, we have stress tested it, we have found the holes and we work very collaboratively across our municipal teams. So our team at area is only four. However, our greater team is upwards of 20 because we are constantly checking in and collaborating and we have so many different irons in the fire with our solar and with regulatory issues and with maintaining the sustainability of the municipal electric utilities themselves, um, there's a lot that we constantly have connection into our communities with. And sometimes I think that the towns feel like, holy moly, our entire agenda today is all area. But sometimes that's just how the cycle goes. And so we might have three or four projects that need to have a decision in one month. And we might not see the council again with a big decision for another few months after that. So uh, it just depends on where we are in the cycle of what we're working on. But there is daily connection and collaboration work that happens with the administrative side of each of these municipalities that we work with. Yeah, I can imagine that. And some of those holy moly's are probably um, grateful holy moly's where they get to um, vote on some uh, some you know future proofing communities, future proofing municipalities, and really doing some pretty groundbreaking work when it comes to environmentalist work on that front. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I would imagine that within a rapidly evolving um, uh, solar, wind, uh, energy efficient uh, uh, sector uh, that has to do uh, and deal with, you know, l legislation at the provincial and at the federal level and likely at the municipal level as well. And then having multiple community stakeholders. There may have been some challenges that you've run into over the course of the existence of area, Aaron. I'm not sure if that's the case or not. And I may be probing, uh, but and I may be stretching a little bit. But, you know, I feel like there may have been some challenges here and there. So I'm wondering if you can um, speak to any any one of the significant challenges as to what it was and, and ultimately if it was overcome or what you learned from it. So I think there's some things, uh, some ditches we stayed out of and some's the the wind blew us into the ditch. Uh, so, so we could talk about... The things we stayed out of um, as a renewable energy company, where you are in the value chain, are you selling equipment? Uh, are you a project developer? Are you simply a consultant? Um, the boom and the bust and the innovation that you're talking about, most companies will diversify geographically. So uh, Alberta's got an RFP this year. We're going to focus on going and developing projects or acquiring projects and pouring money into that. And then it's Saskatchewan or New Brunswick or Nova Scotia. So you'll see a lot of companies everywhere just to diversify that. Um, I, with particular interest, uh, watch some of the local companies in Nova Scotia that have been quite successful. Do they diversify into New England? Do they go to the Caribbean? Uh, where do they all go? 
being owned municipally, um, we didn't feel it was appropriate to compete with industry uh, head to head on some of these things. Uh, we really have no business uh, geographically diversifying and chasing markets in other places like that. We just don't want to be like industry. It's how do we concentrate and create value for our owner municipalities and other citizens in Nova Scotia? Um, but you do have to diversify. So we've diversified over a spectrum of energy and municipal infrastructure. So that's our strategy to manage the boom and bust in different places. Uh, it seemed like the right thing to do at that time was the best thing we could do was to put three phases of Ellers House down then move into the community solar projects because it was a diversification of technology that's still clean um, and a diversification of where the assets are located. Now we're talking about Nova Scotia and it's not the biggest, right? Um, but Ellers House is away from our towns. We pay Nova Scotia Power fee to use their transmission system and we pay them a balancing fee. And then that energy shows up in our communities. The solar projects are insulated from that but they're embedded right in your communities. And that comes with a different community consultation where uh, the people that own that asset are, are responsible to those voters. And there's a whole different uh, context of community engagement when you own the project in your own backyard compared to owning the project in a, in a different place. And uh, there, there's industry best practices to do community consultation and you can follow those and everything goes great or you can do that and you flip a coin if you have someone who hates your project and hates what you're trying to do. Um, so you can do a bad job and that will usually lead to failure, but doing a good job doesn't always guarantee success either. Uh, we had the great fortune in Ellers House of a number of community leaders that had been there a long time and they say, you know what, uh, this is compatible with our community. Uh, these three towns are not going to abandon us like a fly-by-night energy company or some company overseas. Um, it, we've had varying degrees of um, successful feedback in our own communities on our solar gardens. Um, so those are some of the, the things that we've, we ran into, the, ran into some trouble there. I think there's some great learnings. Um, Every 10 years or every six years we do these projects, we got to remember the playbook from the last. We got to update that playbook. Um, municipal and other government organizations don't have the luxury of paying staff to sit around and update that playbook. So it's, uh, you, you almost, we're constantly flying and building an airplane at the same time. And then once that thing seems to be flying on its own, you put it on autopilot and then you've got to recreate it again because the, the pace of decarbonization is demanded by our citizens and our customers. Is uh, if we look a little tired on the phone call today, it's just a lot of work to do. Hey, listen, if we're judging people based on how they look on this phone call today, then um, I think we're—I I don't think we're doing anybody any favors here. Um, speaking as a father of three, uh, I'm gonna—I've got two more kind of quick questions here. You know, from a provincial perspective, and then one is from an advice perspective. Provincially, just as you're talking, I'm I'm recognizing. Um, would you happen to have any uh, any stats data on hand um, that you could speak to? Uh, how big, like, if we were to just look at municipalities across across the province, um, how much energy is utilized from municipalities, and is it does it rival? Um, like, how close is it to, uh, for instance, you know, the business sector, the like industry, that kind of thing? Because I'm trying to think. The context for the question is that 
you know, over 50% of our, of our energy as a province comes from coal, right? And you folks are doing some really good work with municipalities. So I'm trying to figure out how big of a dent that could actually make within our provincial energy utilization um, if you folks are, were to be able to scale and have that level of impact. In jewels, please. In jewels. Yeah. <laughs> is is yeah. that a thing? Uh, okay. yeah, yeah, it is. You probably need the the P in front of it. Petajoules. It's it's you know, it's it's big stuff now, and it's and it's the 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 electrification of energy, and then the transition to clean electricity is the way to decarbonize. Um, you have different sectors and, and different technologies trying to innovate and do different things on that, but that's our organizations from a towns and an area and their electric utilities perspective on this that you got to electrify and then you got to decarbonize the supply of that electricity um, that's the path to decarbonization that we think is most most appropriate here um, you got to make sure that you don't electrify uh, while you're still 50 percent coal because you know what damage are you doing through that electrification compared to what you were doing before I mean there's a whole basket of analyses that need to be done on that. Um, but back to your point about uh, if all the municipal units in Nova Scotia got together and aggregated that macro ambition, that's something that we talk about and we attempt to motivate and we advocate for that. Um, just because each municipal unit is better off by doing that. So so from their own selfish mercenary or, or climate perspectives it's something they should be doing um, is it worthwhile relative to the whole macro thing um, we're big believers that if everybody does their part we'll get there if we're looking for macro mega projects to carry us over there's a risk profile that um, we've experienced that as a pro uh, as a province um, making bets on mega projects outside this jurisdiction these communities have been continually rewarded for wrapping their hands around manageable projects Municipal units uh, are quite ambitious because they represent the folks that want to see change, um, and, and that that motivates their their actions in that. So, um, I don't know the answer to how big of a deal that would be. Meg, go ahead. And I think a lot of the municipal context of things is quite historical. At the very start of municipal electric utilities in Nova Scotia, they were either run privately or they were born of the municipalities because they needed street lighting. And as the mandate of municipalities and their workload has changed over time and the transfers between the province and the municipal units has also changed, municipalities used to be in charge of schools. Municipalities used to be in charge of owning the infrastructure that went into hospitals and the big buildings. And less and less do the municipalities own these massive pieces of infrastructure that need a massive amount of electricity. Most of them have a town hall. Most of them might have a fire hall. Most of them have a very small portfolio of assets that they actually need to electrify. So vehicles, fleets, getting into electric vehicles, providing streetlights, but a lot of what municipal downloading has become are roads and sidewalks and water and wastewater. So water and wastewater is a huge opportunity to enter into in terms of renewable energy being used to clean and move that water, but also to capture the, the natural gases or the methane or all of the offshoots of waste 
production as well. So when we start to look at systems in terms of their full cycle and what do municipalities actually need energy for, at this point, it's wastewater and water, if that's the infrastructure that they have, and it's their buildings. So outside of independent units in their in their districts that are the taxpayers who have their homes, who could be electrifying their heating systems, electrifying their vehicles, electrifying and getting off of uh, hydrocarbons and moving into renewable sources. These are the opportunities that municipalities have to support their residents, be it through us, we have a home program, we help people finance their uh, heat pumps and electric water heaters. And, um, you know, so in the micro, we're really looking at the micro instead of the macro. We look at the individual usage of our communities. We're hoping to get into smart metering and catch up with the rest of North America in terms of understanding how our users use electricity, when they're using electricity, how can we help with peak shaving? How can we invest in ways that we are not needing to turn on coal-fired plants when we're in a peak moment. And so how can municipalities help with that? And outside of owning the massive buildings and infrastructure that the province owns, a lot of our work is on the on the smaller level, which is important. The big scale stuff gets overwhelming and we get stuck in inertia. So to have these opportunities to do exciting small projects keeps the momentum on a different level that I don't think industry can keep up with. And that's kind of fun. Right, right. Wow. Um, I think uh, if one was, I think you, you have explained to us, uh, you know, how many different things you are engaged in. Um, uh, you are probably best known for um, alternative energy generation, you know, 23.5 megawatt of, of wind energy and now nine megawatt of of solar energy in three different solar farms in three different towns. But you alluded to uh, other uh, work that you are doing with other municipalities and doing work at micro level. So what does you know future look like if you were to peek into next three years or five years, whatever your horizon is? You know, where is area focused on uh, and why? You know, what is that business planning uh, thinking going on right now? So I think that's a very timely question because tomorrow we're bringing the board and all the alternates and the municipal staff together to have a strategy session uh, followed by a board meeting the next day. So uh, I don't know if, if the public disclosure of our organization's existence has uh, has found its way to the greater world that knows what's going on. But there, there are so many opportunities for municipalities. Um, again, the, the the literature on the web gives the reader the impression that municipalities are constrained and they can't do anything. And, and we found very much the opposite. So if there's a message here, it's really revisit that assumption that municipalities are, are not actors in the decarbonization. I, I, something I'm very passionate about, I've oriented my career to it. You can see how passionate Meg is about it. We're, we're believers of it and, and we're actors in it and we, we show the benefits of it. Inside that strategic context, there's a number of pillars that will survive that and, and something that we've started 
uh, and been working on as a collective for two or three decades, uh, even before I got here. And that's the health of the municipal electric utilities in Nova Scotia. So that's something that's very important to us. Um, again, it's a counterweight to investor-owned electric utilities in this province to see what citizens can do um, when their singular focus is not on generating increasing shareholder returns. Um, how do we improve the quality of life in our communities and how are our municipal electric utilities an area by extension uh, part of that narrative? We don't exist just for our own sake. We exist to provide a public good to our communities. So that will that will persist indefinitely. Um, the decarbonization of wholesale electricity supplies to those municipal electric utilities. Um, we've taken ownership positions in wind because it was the right time. Um, there was a, a, a lot of uh, track record in the, in the wind space in the 2012, 2013, 2014, and we've been rewarded for our investment in high quality wind turbines. Um, as those machines get bigger and once the insurance folks start to get a little wobbly in the knees, that's time for a municipality to think whether they should own any more or not. Uh, solar, we can wrap our hands around. We don't need big, large cranes. So that's why we took ownership positions in that. We may simply be purchasers in power purchase agreements for the remaining energy to get to decarbonization. Um, we are not taking a, a fixed orientation to how to do that, but just in a time and a place, what's best right now. Um, the getting access to clean energy uh, is a priority right now. Clean capacity is another thing. Uh, and you'll see uh, all of the regional players and provincial governments here struggling with uh, how do we provide clean capacity to a region that has traditionally always relied on fossil fueled capacity. When the renewables are not there, what are we going to do? Uh, there's ways to solve that in a carbon intense manner. Um, it, it, or, or will they? Will the emergency backup systems always be carbon intense and we just have to hold our nose and hope we use it as least possible or we're going to go right to total decarbonization? Um, we'll see that analysis and some decisions made over the next five, 10 years. Some of them are being made now. So our strategy will be to delay a decision on, uh, on clean capacity uh, until we see a little more stability in the design and functioning of the, of the regional marketplace. Um, and then to Meg's point that she touched on helping our customers in these towns make informed and comfortable decisions on their own decarbonization journey. Um, there, there's a, a trust in the town's electric utility um, that I don't think has been totally eroded um, through everybody's rate increases lately. Um, that's just a sign of the market. Everything is catastrophically more expensive. We've experienced that on our solar construction projects. Uh, all electric, all energy utilities have had significant rate increases. If they haven't, then they're punting that into the future and charging their customers interest in the meantime. So uh, we, we will again stabilize that, but it, you know, customers don't, don't necessarily care about that. They want to make sure that their rates are affordable um, when nothing else is these days. So uh, despite that context, the people in these towns trust the town brand according to the research that we've done. Uh, and so we'll be levering that and helping them make their transition to clean energy uh, two over two electricity sources, and then we'll help them with uh, with the clean electricity. Um, I can validate your last comment being a resident of Antigonish. I feel very proud uh, to be 
to have area as as one of the key institution that uh, Antigonish town owns. Uh, but I can tell you all that uh, the quality of power that we are experiencing uh, in Antigonish has just improved because now I have solar panels on my roof and, and exporting my some. some so I think the quality has just simply improved after that anyway. <laughs> uh, but if you were to say what are maybe some of the policy barriers, if you were to be talking to the legislatures, especially in the province, uh, how can they possibly make uh, your pathways uh, less cumbersome? We, as a collective, think of area as part of a, a provincial system. So when asked that question, our answer is, what's best for Nova Scotia? And we tie that back to the integrated resource planning that takes place uh, to chart the infrastructure additions for our future. And we're quite uh, quite strong advocates for that exercise needs to be run and managed by an entity that singularly answers to the public good and not to a shareholder return. So uh, an independent agency running an integrated resource plan um, is our loudest point when we are talking to folks about what change is required. That can't be run by, by an entity with a corporate interest. We, we as citizens... Um, uh, need it to be done differently. Um, people can always say, oh, well, you know, you can trust that. Um, but I think markets and players in markets have uh, have betrayed that trust. Um, and it should just return to its purest form where an agency uh, that takes into account not just shareholder returns or electricity rates, but rural economic development, uh, equity, diversity, inclusion, um, how do we get there as a province? Um, maybe that low cost electricity resource is not the greatest macro thing for everybody's benefits. Um, you, know, you might say here, hey, and that pushes electricity rates up. E yes, but that's one part of an economy. It's one part of a quality of life equation. Um, and all of those things should be taken into consideration as we plan which assets will uh, carry us through to a decarbonized electricity supply. Well said. Well said. More power to you. Matt. Well, as the resident dad here, um, I will say, uh, and to continue the carnivorous thoughts uh, that we've had, the best way to eat an element or an elephant is one bite at a time. Um, and that's the, that's the expression that comes up to me from this conversation. Um, should you be a meat eater or not? Uh, because I think the best way to change the world is to change your world. And it seems like it's incredibly accessible. The work that you folks are doing um, at the ground level is really impacting communities to Anuja's point right there, right in Anikanish, right? So um, we could go on for hours on 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 this uh, on this topic, on these conversations. We'll make sure that uh, that we uh, put all of your uh, your contact us here info, Aaron and Meg, uh, in whatever distribution that we have to make sure that uh, all of our all of our listeners can reach out and hear more from your stories. And uh, we look forward to seeing some of that strategic plan as it rolls out. But uh, we are at time. So with that, I will say a huge thank you to Aaron, a huge thank you to Meg. Prosperity beyond profit is what we do. Tune in next week for the 12th and final episode of the first season of the Just Good Business Podcast. Thank you all so much. This was such an inspiring talk. 
These folks are truly making a massive difference in our province, working at the grassroots level within community to create impact we can see, hear, and feel. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe to tune in for more. I'm Matt. And I'm Anuj. And this has been Just Good Business Podcast.